0: Some of us are more type A people here in the church. If you don't know what type A is, type A people are the people who are always in a rush. Type A people are the perfectionists. Type A people are the people who can't just sit there and do nothing. They always have to be doing something. Type A people are the people who are in traffic who get really annoyed. Type A people are the people who are always busy with activity, uh, they can't settle, they're disciplined and they have high standards and sitting around doing nothing drives them mad. Type A people are impatient and they stress a lot. I was going to say if you're a type A person raise your hand, but you've, you're, you're the, per, the person beside you would probably raise your hand for you because what tends to happen is type A people tend to marry type B people. Uh, Two type A people probably would drive each other mad. Type B people are a bit more relaxed. It's not so much about winning, it's the taking part that counts. Whoever said that, they're a little bit uh, more creative. They like to sit back and ponder things. They don't stress about stuff so much. Um, They're reflective. They've got no problem just sitting, relaxing, relaxing doing nothing. Um, and, and, and sometimes type B people tend to leave things to the last minute and they know it'll get done eventually. And the type A people are thinking I need to raise a hand beside me because that's what the person besides me like. And it, it drives me mad. And I find and, and that tension at times that, that even within our marriage, I would tend to be a little bit more type A and Becky would have been a bit more type B. And at times that has been frustrating. But then as you get to know each other, you realize actually that, that you can't be all type A because it's just not sustainable. You get burnt out, it's exhausting. And you can't be all type B because nothing ever gets done. You need that combination, you need that mixture. And, and and I think it's the same in the Christian life. I think some of us are type A Christians. We think it's all about us. It's all about our work. It's all about our activity. It's all about our effort. It's all about all the busyness we do for God because if we don't do it, it's not gonna get done. That's a type A Christian. Then there's a type B Christian and their motto, motto is this, let go and let God just let go and let God. It's not me. I just need to pray. If I just pray for 14 hours a day, God will take care of it all. Just let go and let God and he will do it all. And I think actually we're going to see today, it's a combination of both. We're going to look at a little parable that Jesus told in Mark chapter four. It's a strange little parable. It's kind of out of place. It's, It's one that I've read loads of times and I've kind of skipped over. And yet, I think there's something in this for us about understanding this, that some things only you can do and some things only God can do. And we need to know the difference between those things because God won't do what I'm meant to do and I shouldn't be trying to do what is only for God to do. Look at Mark 4, 26 to 29 with me. He, as that's that's Jesus also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Day and night, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the seed produces corn. First the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the corn is ripe, he puts a sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Like I said, this is a strange little parable, and it's only in the Gospel of Mark, but Jesus never wasted words. Jesus never said things for the sake of saying them, and the Gospel writers never recorded things just to fill up space. There was loads of stuff they could have put in the Gospels, but they chose specific things because they thought they were important. And this little parable has something to communicate with us about how God's kingdom works, about how growth and transformation and change happens in God's kingdom. Look at verse 26 with me. also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed in the ground. You know, 2,000 years ago, they were a much more agricultural society. And so I love that Jesus told stories using ordinary language. He was surrounded by people who had fields and crops. So he talked about wheat and barley. He talked about sowing seeds. He talked about the sheep and the goats. He talked about ordinary things that the everyday person could relate to. And I love that because I have been in too many Christian circles where I don't have a clue what people are talking about. And I have found sometimes with me, because of my job, I said this, I was talking to somebody about this during the like, week, sometimes people come up to me and they feel they have to talk like spiritual language to me because I'm a professional Christian. And half the time I have no idea what they're talking about, but I have to look spiritual so I know, mm, mm. And I'm like, Lord, I have no clue. Jesus talked in the language of ordinary people the common folk, and they understood him, they gathered around him, and he told stories. That's why I love telling stories. If you've been around here long enough, you'll have heard some of my stories 57 times because stories connect with us, don't they? We might not remember the point, but we'll remember the story. And Jesus was a master storyteller. He told stories to illustrate heavenly truths and heavenly realities so that the ordinary people could understand it and we had the story earlier in this chapter about the four soils you know the rocky soil and the path and the thorns and then the good soil and the seed is the Word of God and then later on he comes and he tells us this he tells us this little parable and I think this little parable is telling us what actually happens in the good soil he told us that it produces a harvest 30, 60, hundred fold I think in this little parable he's actually telling us how that happens how that happens Look at verse 26 again. And my first point is this. You must play your part. You must play your part. Verse 26. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Jesus said a man scatters seed. It doesn't say God scatters seed. It doesn't say the seed fell from the sky. It didn't sow itself. It says it was the initiative of the farmer, the man, to sow seed. The seed. Here are some seeds. There's one seed now. (laughs) Okay, there's one seed now. Uh, There's a whole lot on the floor, but there's one seed. Okay, I don't even have it anymore. (laughs) Every seed has potential life in it, but if I were to keep those seeds in the drawer and never plant them, and go out in six months, I couldn't be disappointed that nothing has grown. If I were to leave them on the stage here, and not get the vacuum cleaner out later, and vacuum them all up, I couldn't come back in six months and go, why haven't they grown? I dropped those on the stage six months ago, and I haven't got any harvest. Because they have to be planted, they have to be sown in the soil. The seeds, or the soil needs to be dug up, ploughed, rotivated, whatever it is, and prepared for the seeds god isn't going to do that the seed can't do it for itself it takes a man or a woman to sow the seed then look at verse 29 the last verse of the story as soon as the corn is ripe he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come again who does the reaping the man or the woman they do the reaping once everything has grown It's not going to harvest itself, the man or the woman goes out. God's not got some supernatural combine harvester with the angels that's going to come down from heaven. Humans do the reaping. The farmer does that. In other words, there always has to be human initiative. There always has to be human activity. You have a part to play. Someone has to do something or nothing grows and nothing happens. What am I getting at? comes back to what I was talking about at the start. Some Christians live as if God is responsible to do everything. That they do nothing, let go, let God, and it's all up to him. And we expect God to do things that he has given us responsibility to do. We expect something to grow, but we never sow. We expect the harvest, but we don't plant the seeds. We expect the results, but we don't put in any effort or discipline or work beforehand. And here's the thing we need to realise, that God does miracles, but he doesn't do magic. God does miracles, but he doesn't do magic. Because here's what a magician does. A magician pulls something out of the hat that isn't, hasn't been there before. Pull the rabbit, pull flowers out of the hat, and you go, wow, where did that come from? That wasn't, I mean, it was probably there, hidden somewhere. But But, uh, but, but that's a miracle or that was magic, but God doesn't do magic, God does miracles. And what I mean by that is this, God takes something that was already there and he uses it to do something greater. God takes something ordinary, something that's in our hands, something that he's given us, and he says, if you will use it, I will do a miracle. If you will take your natural, I will make it supernatural. If you take your ordinary, I will make it extraordinary. But it always takes something that he's given us, it takes human initiative. Moses had a stick of staff. It was just an ordinary shepherd's staff. And God said, throw it down. And when he picked it up, he was able to part the Red Sea with it. There was a woman who had no food. And her children were about to be taken as slaves. And, and, and Elisha says to her, what have you got in your company? She says, I have just a little oil. And that little oil just kept flowing and flowing and flowing. Joshua ordered the priests to put their feet in the water and when they put their feet into the water, the water stopped flowing. It didn't stop flowing until they put their feet in the water. The little boy handed over two loaves or the loaves and the fish. It was what he gave that created the miracle that fed the 5,000. They filled pots with water in obedience to Jesus. And when they tasted it, the water had turned into wine. The blind man cried out for Jesus, Help me to see. Have mercy on me. The woman with the issue of blood grabbed Jesus' robe. What I'm trying to say is this, that in almost every miracle, if not all of them we see in Scripture, there was always some part that man or woman had to play and then God stepped in and he used that to do the miracle. It wasn't that God just did it, it wasn't just all God. If you read the Gospels, I can't think of hardly one miracle in the Gospels that was Jesus' initiative. Jesus was walking along and somebody cried out. Somebody grabbed him. Somebody called to him. Somebody climbed a tree. There was always some human element involved. They did what they could do. And God did what only he can do. Some of you might have heard the story about the the man who, who bought an old piece of waste ground. And in five years, he turned that piece of waste ground into a beautiful, magnificent, stunning garden and people came from everywhere to see it and one day the pastor of the local church came along and he walked around this place and he turned to the gardener he said turned to the man said you must be so thankful for the lord to give you this beautiful garden and the gardener replied with this he says that's true if it wasn't for the sunshine and the rain and the miracle of seeds and the soil and the seasons there would be no garden at all but he said this but you know what you should have seen this place a couple of years ago when god had it all to himself It's not all God and it's not all us, but we always have a part to play. God always works through people. The Bible is a story of God working through ordinary people like you and me. It's not all God and it's not all us, but we always have a part to play. And that, we need to understand this because we tend to have this false humility in the church. Oh, it wasn't me, it was God. And I get that, I understand that. It was all the glory to him, it was nothing to do with me. And Yes, we do give him all the glory, but if it was only him and you did nothing, not much would happen. If we left it for God to do the sound system this morning and the visuals, if we left it for God to do the welcome team and the kids ministry this morning, it wouldn't have happened. If we left it for God to do the worship, it wouldn't have happened. Yes, God comes and he prompts and he fills and he gives gifts and he inhabits the praise of his people. And we are so grateful for that. And we're so grateful for God for all he does. He is so good. He is so, so good. But we're also grateful for people who respond, who give, who serve, who use their gifts, who step up, who come in early every week. Because if they didn't do their part, it would be very hard for God to do his part in here because none of you would be here. It's not all God and it's not all us, but there's always some human element involved in it. We do our part and God does his. God won't read your Bible for you. God won't pray. For your family. God won't be generous with your money for you. God won't develop your gift. God won't apply for that job for you. God won't ask that fella or girl out for you as much as you might pray and fast that he does. God won't turn off that computer or turn off your phone so that you don't look at those things that you shouldn't be looked at. God won't eat healthier for you. God won't stop spending your money for you on things you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't like. God won't control you. That's what I'm trying to say to you. You know, sometimes I'm going to say, God, I give you control. And God's going, I don't want control. God doesn't want to control you. He gave you free will. He could have controlled us from the start and we would have avoided a whole lot of problems in the garden. God doesn't want to control you. He wants to fill you. And here's what a fruit of the Spirit is. Self-control. He wants to come and work in your life, so that you have self-control, so that you make the right choices, so that you serve him, so that you surrender him, so that you give him what you have. God will not control you, but He will give you self-control, so that you can do the right thing. You know, when our little boy Elijah was younger, he used to, and he still does it sometimes. Daddy, will you do this? Will you? And I used to say to him, "If you can't do it, I won't do it." If you can do it, I won't. But I will help you with the things that you can't do. And I think God sometimes would say the same to us. When we say, God, would you do this? God, I need you. And God's just going, I I want you to do that. I've put that in your hands. And if you will be faithful with what I've given you, I will do the bits that you can't do. I will step in. And some of us aren't seeing the growth in our lives, aren't seeing the change in our lives, because we're expecting God to do it all. And God is saying, actually, I want you to take what I've given you and I want you to sow it. I want you to plant it. I want you to do something with it. I want you to steward it. I want you to be obedient to what I am telling you. Second point is this. just want to keep an eye on the timer. Second point is this, and it's really simple. What you sow is what you'll grow. What you sow is what you'll grow. Now, I'm not the farmer, nor the son of a farmer, I don't do gardening, I don't even eat vegetables. But I have watched two seasons of Clarkson's Farm <laughs> on Amazon. Can I get an AN from anybody who watches Clarkson? <laughs> that was almost as loud a shout as I got earlier. Obviously, I don't approve of some of the language in it. That's a disclaimer. Um, but it is brilliant. But here's what I do know. A farmer only sows what they want to grow. If you want to grow wheat, you sow wheat seeds. If you want to grow roses, you plant, you don't plant daffodils. Because what you sow will determine what you grow. And that's the way God created the world. In Genesis 1 in creation, he said this, it says this, and God said, let the earth spread vegetation plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit, which is in their seed, each according to its kind. In other words, anything on earth that God has created can only reproduce each according to its kind. That's why the seeds and apples can only produce apple trees. Roses can only produce roses. Humans can only produce humans. Because God has placed within living things seeds that can reproduce according to their kinds. Humans cannot give birth to horses, thank the Lord. Okay, we can only give birth to humans because each reproduces according to its own kind. Where am I going with this? When you look at your life today, you are living with the fruit of the seeds that you have planted in the past. Whether you love your life today or whether you can't stand your life today, a large part of what you are living and experiencing and enjoying or not enjoying today is related to the seeds that you have planted six months ago, a month ago, six weeks ago five years ago and those seeds have grown over time and they have produced what you see in your life now i know there's other factors there's the actions of other people there's things out there in the world that we can't control i get that but largely by and large what you see growing in your life is the fruit of the seeds that you have planted over time paul puts it like this in galatians do not be deceived god cannot be mocked a man reaps What he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, the flesh is what I want now. That's what the flesh is. The flesh is what I want now. What feels good. What would satisfy my urge now. That's what the flesh is. The man who sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. In other words, the harvest won't look great. Whoever sows to please the spirit, you know what the spirit is? What I want most. And it's that battle in our lives between what I want now and what I want most. Because most of us know what we would like our lives to look like, but we also know what we want now. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. In other words, if you choose what you want most, if you sow good seed, you will start to reap a really good life. This isn't karma. Karma says bad people, bad things happen. Good people, good things happen. This is creation. This is God putting a principle in the soil of creation, in the heart of creation that simply says, you reap what you sow. So if you know somebody who is a miserable, gloomy person, I would guess that they probably sow seeds of negativity, criticism, gossip and complaining. I don't need to be a prophet to say that. I just need to know what the scripture says. You reap what you sow. If you know somebody who's a joyful, happy person, they're probably sowing seeds of gratitude, kindness, generosity, and love. Now, I know we all sow little seeds of negativity sometimes and little seeds of gossip sometimes. And, we can not you know, that's not just panic us and say, oh, no, I'm going to become a really awful... No, imagine your life as a field. If you sow one seed... That's not going to take over the whole field. But if you spend your life sowing criticism and negativity and gossip and talking about people and, and 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 just constantly, don't be surprised if that's what your life ends up looking like. Because if you keep sowing, that's what's going to grow. What you sow is what you grow. What you plant is what you'll produce. It's a biblical principle. And the good thing is this: before we all get depressed about what we've sown in the past good thing is that if you don't love some things in your life right now you can start to sow new seeds today you can be intentional about saying what do I want my life to look like in a month six months a year from now do I want to be closer to God do I want to be a happier person do I want to be a more joyful or generous person you can start to sow certain seeds in the field of your life today and those seeds will grow Those seeds will grow over time. And in six months a year, you'll look at your life and you'll go, I've changed. Some things have changed. I'm not the person I used to be because I've sown different seeds. Because what you plant is what you'll produce. You can't go to a field and say, I want potatoes. Even if you dream, desire or demand potatoes, you can't demand. It doesn't respond to your dreams or desires. Life doesn't respond. I have a dream. I don't care what your dream is. Are you sowing potatoes? I really want. I don't care. God doesn't care. Are you sowing? Because if you're not sowing, you won't be growing. I have friends who are ministers and they say, I really want a spirit-filled church. You know, I, I really try and our church is so dead and the people aren't spirit-filled. And I said, "When did you last? when's the last time you did a series on the Holy Spirit and taught them about being filled with the spirit? Oh, I've never done that. Uh, they wouldn't want that how can you have a spirit filled church without spirit filled people because the church is the people <laughs> you can't magic it you can't even pray it you've got to teach it because what you sow is what you grow this church was planted almost 7 years ago as a word and spirit church and for 7 years we've planted the word and we've watered it with a spirit why is it any surprise 7 years later we've got a word and spirit church because what we sow is what we grow our management team over the last number of years whenever we hear of a church that we know or a church in the area a gospel church that's doing a building project we will give an offering a donation towards it why because we want a building so we're going to sow into buildings because what we sow is what will grow our young people today i've been talking to a number of counselors recently and they've said they're overwhelmed with the number of teenagers with mental health issues have you You've heard that? How can we be surprised if we locked up our children for a year and didn't let them go to school or see their friends? Not being controversial, just being honest. What you sow is what you grow. Yes, we didn't want to kill our great granny who was ninety four in a nursing home, but we didn't think about the fourteen year old who's sitting at home all day in front of a screen and not seeing their friends. We're reaping what we have sown. It's a law of creation. It's a law that God has put into the universe. And we can't bypass it. And so if we sow good seed today, we will see a good harvest tomorrow. What we plant, we will produce. And thirdly, as I finish up, trust that God is at work. Trust that God is at work. Because here's the problem. You don't sow and reap on the same day. You don't plant today and reap the harvest tomorrow. There's a space, there's a gap, there's a time in between and that's where I struggle. I'm not going to pretend you do, I don't know you. That's where I struggle is the waiting bit, in between. Where I've done what I think is right, I've done what only I can do, but I'm not seeing any results yet. You see, the farmer can sow the seed and the farmer can see the harvest once the seed is grown, but there's a middle bit where they can't see anything happening. Look at verses 27, 28. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the year, then the full grain, and the year. So we do our part. We give, we serve, we take initiative, we apply for the job, we, we do our part. We steward what God has given us. God gives us seeds, and we steward them and we plant them. But then there's this middle bit where nothing seems to be happening. There's this bit where it's in the soil and it's, and you have no idea if anything's going on there. It's a part which you have no control over, it's a part that you leave to God. Look at verse 27 again, night and day, whether he sleeps or get up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. There comes a point where it's buried beneath the surface where the farmer simply has to trust that something's happening. He can't see it, but he has to trust that the soil is doing what only the soil can do and that that the the seed's germinate and it's sprouting, it's growing. And the difficult part is it takes time. It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. And that's where I struggle because that's where my type A personality comes in. Because if I sow and nothing grows immediately, I think maybe there's something wrong with the seeds. Maybe I got dodgy seeds. Or maybe I need, need I need to plant more seeds. Maybe I, I need to plant... I didn't put enough seeds in there. Maybe I need to dig them up and, and just have a little look to make sure they're all right down there. Maybe I need to give them a little chat. We, you know, I'll dig them up and just tell them how well they're doing. We motivational talk and, and put them back in, in the soil. It must be the soil. It must be the seeds. I, I, I'll plant different seeds. I'll, I'll try harder. I'll I'll put seeds on top of the ones. and And none of that works because... Jesus is saying here in the kingdom, some things just take time. In the kingdom, some things just take time. Sometimes we just need to wait. We need to trust that if we have planted the right seed, the harvest will come even when nothing seems to be happening. That you can't manipulate it, you can't force it. There are some things that you just need to let go and trust God. I don't know, maybe that's where you struggle too. You know, somebody was saying to me a while ago that they were were really wrestling with a, a situation about a family situation and they said, I keep giving it to God, but then I keep taking it back again. I don't know, but you. But I do that. I go, God, you take this. I, I, I can't do this. And this is, this is your. And then I go, well, maybe I'll try and I'll take it back and I'll try to, to work things. I'll try to use my own ingenuity or my own experience, or my own wisdom, and it doesn't work because we like everything to happen quickly. We don't like queuing. We are the McDonald's generation. We're the drive-through generation. We're the fast food generation. We're the Netflix and high-speed internet. We're the buy now, pay later because saving takes too long. We're the Amazon Prime with next day delivery. We're the dating app generation, not me, but uh, some of the singles out there, where you swipe through 200 potentials in 15 minutes rather than going and meeting somebody because we don't want to wait. If I were to prophesy, and I've been around these circles, you know, I, there's going to be a sudden shift in your life where you're like, yes, Lord! If I prophesy, things are going to go really slow. And you're probably not actually going to see much happening, but God is going to be at work, it's like off. Let's bring in the other prophets who tell us there's going to be a sudden shift, because we like that, we prefer that. And God can do things suddenly. And I've seen God transform instantly, but most of the time, it's slow. It's a process. And it's not seen and it happens in the darkness where we can't see you know if you're pregnant if some, who's pregnant here anybody pregnant if you even move your arm <laughs> 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 you know you you can't give birth to a healthy child after four months you know there was an investor called warren buffett he said he was talking about investment but he used this analogy you can't get nine women pregnant and have a baby in one month i'll let you think about that one in other words some things just take time some things doing more of something won't make it happen quicker some things just take time if you're in debt you can't say a magic prayer and have all your debts paid off if you're overweight you can't say a magic prayer or skip one meal and lose two stone You see, we get excited about the start. We get excited about the beginning. We get excited, and we love the end, but we love the harvest. But it's the middle bit that we struggle. It's the in-between. It's the, I don't know what's going on here, and it doesn't feel like anything's happening. It's the mundane middle. That's where I struggle. You know, we have a lot of weddings this year in church. I think we're five this year. And I, I love doing weddings, and I love the wedding service. And you know, the wedding service and the wedding day is really exciting. And you know, later on in life, when you grow old together and you retire together, and you, that, you know what's hard? The middle bit, the middle 50 years. <laughs> you know, it's the mundane middle where you're just going to work. You're really, you know, having a baby is exciting for the man, not maybe the woman at the time. But, uh, but having a baby, oh, look at this little bundle of joy. And you know what, watching your child grow up and get married and have kids, uh, You know what's really hard? The middle bit, like the 18 years in between. That's where it's difficult. Starting a business is exciting. Selling a business or or, or moving on. It's the middle bit where day by day you're going in and slogging over that business. See, we love the start and we love the end. We love the sowing and we love the reaping. But it's the middle bit in between is where we struggle, where nothing seems to be happening. We love the highlights. But most of life isn't highlights most of life is not Instagrammable or facebookable most of life is spent in the middle where nothing seems to be happening but here's the thing that if you're doing the right thing if you're planting the right seeds if you're sowing faithfully you can be sure that even if nothing seems to be happening something is happening even if you can't see it even if it feels like it's taken too long you can be Absolutely certain because it's a principle that God has put in creation that if you sow the right seeds, you will grow the right harvest eventually. You might not understand what's going on. Look at what Jesus says in verse 27. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. He does not know how. Imagine a farmer planting something, and I mean today, I Googled it this morning, so I do know how. But in those days, they didn't have Google. He put seed in the soil, and he didn't know how it happened. And some of us need to understand that we will not understand. We don't know how. Some of us don't plant the seed because we want to know how the whole thing's going to work out. We want a guarantee. We want all the details up front, and that's not how God's kingdom works. God's kingdom is about faith and trust that if you do what he has called you to do, he will do what only he can do. That's how it works. Faith starts at the point where we say, I don't know how this happens. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't have all the details and this doesn't make sense. But I'm going to do it anyway and I'm going to trust God for the outcome. See, if you're a control freak like me, you don't like that because I want to control every stage of it. And there's some parts of it where God says, you just need to let go of that. And this is for some people today who are struggling in that mundane middle where nothing seems to be happening. God is saying, will you trust me with this? Will you release? You see, the farmer has to release the seed. Some of us are holding on to the seed and we're wondering why we don't have a harvest. The farmer has to release it and it has to go into the soil out of their hand. And some of us are clinging so tightly until we have all the details and all the information up front and God is saying, will you just release that and will you trust me with this? I can't grow this church. But I can preach the word faithfully and we can put structures in place. And here's what the, the Apostle Paul said. I planted, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. Paul's saying, I did my bit. This other guy, Apollos, did his bit, but God made it grow. I can't make anyone a Christian, but I can share my faith and try to love them. And the Holy Spirit can work in their heart. I do my part and let God do his. You can't make your child grow up perfectly, but you can love them. You can communicate with them. You can pray with them. You can pray for them. And then there's a part of it where you go, God, I'm leaving them in your hands. And that's a relief for me because there's too much pressure when you try to do it all. My best efforts can't achieve it. And my best insight can't explain it. There's some things that I just don't know. And you know what that means? I can sleep. I can sleep at night. Verse 27 says that the farmer sleeps. He gets up and he goes to bed. I can rest at night because I know that there are some things that only God can do. And you know what I love that the Bible says? He neither slumbers nor sleeps. So I would rather sleep and let him stay up all night, worrying about the things that I'm normally up worrying about. I can sleep because there's some things only he can do. And as I look back at my life and I'm sure you're the same and I'm finishing here I see so many things that were coincidences so many things that just happened so many things that just fell into place So many people I just happened to meet and I go I could never have orchestrated that. You got that? Yeah. Things that happened where you got a job where you met a spouse where you or something just something changed And it was just the right person the right place the right and you went I, on my best that I just I couldn't have done that Like, I'm not that bright. I'm not that sharp. But you know God was working behind the scenes. God was doing what only he can do. After Paul talks about sowing and reaping in Galatians 6, he says this. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If we do not give up. A couple of stories, but I only want to share one. Um which one? Yeah, it's one I was talking about recently to somebody. There was a girl called Emma in our, our church in Dublin. And she was a missionary in Calcutta. She was forty years old, working in the red light district of Calcutta, rescuing children and teenagers out of brothels. And she'd been out there for many years. And Emma, her greatest desire was to be married and meet a man who would join her in the work out there. But the only men she had interactions with, quite honestly, were pimps in Calcutta. There wasn't a lot to choose from. And she was praying and praying for years that God would send her a husband. And in our second or third year in Dublin, we decided we would send a team out to Calcutta to Emma. It's the first time we'd ever done that. I didn't go because I don't like going anywhere further than sort of Italy or anywhere further south than Italy. Um, Just being honest, some people are graced for that, I'm not. Um, But we set a team of 10 people out, we booked 10 flights with Emirates and a few weeks before they were due to go, one of the team dropped out and so we had 10 tickets but 9 people and... We'd paid for the ticket already and we needed somebody to fill it. And one morning we announced if anybody wants to go, we can change the details and, and somebody can go on this trip. And, and that morning there was a guy in our church who had come in for the first time called Kieran. And he was a trained nurse. And something in his heart stirred, and he said, I would love to go out there. And we interviewed him and we talked to his previous pastor and they gave him a glowing reference. And, and Kieran joined the other nine and went out to Calcutta. And he fell in love with the city. Loved the place. But even more than that, he fell in love with Emma. And about nine months, a year after that, I had the privilege of officiating their wedding. And now they've got a lovely little child. And you know what, Emma couldn't have, you know, she couldn't have done that. I couldn't have done that. She simply was being faithful with the seed that God had given her, where she was. For years, year after year, seeing very little happen. But as she did what only she could do, God stepped in behind the scenes and did what only he can do. And I just, as I finish, and I am finishing, I want to encourage two groups here. I want to encourage the group that are seeing nothing happen. It might be parents who are seeing nothing happen with your kids. It could be you're praying for your marriage and nothing's changing. It could be in your own life you are a struggle that you're battling and you're praying and you're trying and nothing's changing. I want to encourage you, do not give up. It says in Galatians, if you don't give up, you will see the heart. I want to encourage you, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. But there's another group I I felt I was to speak to this morning, and that's the group that have been sowing faithfully, and they don't think they've seen anything, but actually something's growing, but you're just missing it. See, there's that little verse in Isaiah 43 that we all quote. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. But here's the bit that I felt God highlighted to me this morning as I was praying into this. It says, now it springs up, do you not perceive it? (laughs) In other words, something is growing, but you're not seeing it. And I feel like for some of you, the Lord wants to say this. All the seed that you have sown is now bearing fruit, but you've got so used to not seeing any fruit in your life that actually you're missing what's right in front of your eyes. And my prayer is that he would open your eyes to see what he's doing in your life. It might be small, it says, now it springs up to you. In other words, it's small, it's subtle. But there's something there. And I believe there's green shoots growing in your life. Green shoots of change, green shoots of transformation, green shoots of hope, green shoots of life. Green shoots of God at work. But I pray today that God would give you the eyes of faith to see and perceive what he's doing in front of you. Let's pray really quickly. Father, I I, I just pray that you would help us to be a people who sow good seed, that we would do what you have called us to do, that we would steward what you've given us. But once we have done that, Lord, that we would be people who trust you when we can't see you. We sing that even when I can't see it, you're working. Lord, help us to believe that that's true. That once we have sown the good seed, once we have given, once we have served, once we have, 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 have loved, once we have prayed, once we, when we do what you've called us to do, you will do what only you can do. And I pray for those who, who aren't seeing any fruit, Lord, that you would help us to be patient. And I pray for those of us who are missing the fruit, missing the growth, that you would give us the eyes of faith. Some of you are going to see things this week and you're suddenly going to go, that's what I've been praying for. That's what I've been, see- that's what I've been longing for. That's what I've been planting for five years. And it's, it's small and it's insignificant, but it's a sign of life. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would water this word and produce a harvest in our hearts.